So have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. Hey, good folks. I'm so glad you decided to join us today. Uh, We're still in the book of Genesis, and we're diving deep. We're getting deeper and deeper. We're going to probably hit a lot here in these next few um, sessions, and so I just hope that you put your seatbelt on, and we're going to ride this thing out. I I promise you this thing has been really blessing me, um, requiring that that I study this thing from beginning to end, because, you know, usually you go and you study based on how you feel, or, or based on a sermonic a spotlight, but having to walk through this Bible and attach it to itself has been one of the most fulfilling things to me. But then even in this, and extending this to some of the other Bible study groups that I teach, some of the questions that these kids have had are, are, are just, it, it's, it's amazing how, how the Word is taking root in them, and I'm watching them grow, and I'm just so incredibly excited about it. God is so faithful, y'all. So, uh, we're going to start in Genesis 12, and, and I can't tell you where we're going to stop because I'm not sure. In my study time, I got as far as Genesis 18. And if we're going to be honest about this thing, um, the call of Abram and to Abraham, uh, it, it just keeps extending through this book. And, and so we I, we could talk all day about it, and we'll just see what, how the Holy Spirit guides, which is why I think we need to go ahead and pray. So let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this day, this opportunity to come together to study your word. Lord, I pray that you would anoint my tongue, write on my tongue, that my words would edify you, write on my heart, that my thoughts would edify you, God. And I pray that everything would come out and be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so... Um, we, we're going to start right here with the call of Abraham. And as we know that Abraham comes from the seed of Noah, as did everybody. Um, but he comes from the seed of Abraham and, you know, we talked about there being uh, loose or being tight genealogies. And if there were loose genealogies, it is very possible that, um, that Abraham could have very well walked with the sons of Noah uh, they could have had conversations that um, that Noah could have had conversation with the father of of Abraham, and and so we we're putting things into perspective. Now the the last few the last eleven chapters that we have explored in eleven chapters we covered two thousand years roughly, uh, so we believe it could have been a little bit more, it could have been a little bit less, but we covered about two thousand years. Now in the next several chapters. We're going to cover for only 400 years. And so what we had in the first 11 chapters was uh, very loose. Now, I know we, we talked about a lot of detail, uh, but what, what the Bible gives us was very loose, and it gives, gave us a grand scheme of what was happening, and it kind of hit the high points. We're going to tap into some of the details here in the next few chapters. Um, we're going to cover 400 chapters in 39, in 400, 400 years in 39 chapters. And so that, that's just kind of crazy to me. But when we start looking at this stuff, it, it is very relevant 
And I think it is, is, is highly important that we look at this word and when we dissect it and that we take it at face value. What's funny is one of the kids in one of my, in my Bible studies was talking about, she was like, well, you know, I guess, you know, a lot of the churches like to talk about real life application. And so they don't really want to do Bible study. And, and here, I'm going to, I'm going to set the record straight. The Bible study is real life application if you will dig deep into it. Don't let anybody tell you that looking deep theologically into the word is not life application. That's not true. The deeper you get into this word, the more that you can apply it to your walk and you'll be more effective at applying it to your walk. Uh, like we talked about the last time we applied, we talked about the Zodiac versus the Maseroth. Um, and, and, and the Zodiac system, just about every American has something to do or to say about the Zodiac. And so to understand its roots and to understand its paganism, I think that's important. We talked about uh, where some of the Christmas rites that we do come from. Well, I, I guarantee you on Friday, my mama's going to be putting up Christmas decorations. Now, do I think that this Bible study is going to keep us from putting up Christmas decorations? No, but I do think understanding where these things come from will begin to change the way that we react and we respond to them. Um, but these are things that you're only going to find in deep biblical study. You know, if you if you just know that that Mary <laughs> and Joseph went to uh, Bethlehem and they followed and the wise men followed a star, a, a star, and he was born in a manger. And that's all you know. Yeah, that's good, great, and wonderful. But the the depth and the importance of it will be missed on you. You know, often we get excited about the the small things uh, that are highlighted as big things, and we miss the details that really make this gospel a beautiful love story. Like, yes, he died on died for the cross on the cross for me is wonderful. But the way that God orchestrated it is is far more breathtaking. Just the fact that he died on the cross. Yeah, I get, I get chill bumps when I think about what he did because I screw up on a daily basis. I mess up all the time. But even in my messing up all the time, when we start to look at the details of how he began, from the very beginning of the foundations of the earth, he began to plan redemption because he saw that we were imperfect. And how he modeled what Christ would be like through all of these major characters. And these are the characters that, that were, were illuminated throughout 66 chapters penned by 40 authors and how they overlap over thousands of years is absolutely amazing. And so when we begin to look at this stuff, this is the stuff that we can get excited about. Sure, we can get excited about small details, but when we really dig deep into this word, there is there are so many beautiful details we want to pull out. And so I do want to talk about those. Now, um, you know, we're, we're about to enter into this period, the Abraham period, and this is like the foundation uh, for, for what we're going to talk about. Now, sure, Noah was a, a, a very big character. A, uh, Adam was a very big character. It was important that we talked about Cain and Abel. It was important that we talked about Methuselah and we talked about Enoch. But Abraham is like he's mentioned in all three of the world, major world religions, okay? Now, here's one of the things that has been cool to me for a long time. It's been cool to me and it's been a little startling is that all three of the major religions come from the seed of Abraham. And as we're going to explore, that's a promise that God kind of makes. He makes it vaguely. But all three of the major world religions, which means that 80% of the people believe in the God of Abraham, and the discourse is taken at the Savior or the, the mode that they get to the God, okay? I hope you're following me. So if I were to go to a Muslim country, we're worshiping the same God, but we don't believe in the same means to get to him, okay? If I were to interact with a Jew, we worship the same God, 
but the same God, we, we, we don't, we don't believe the means by which we can get to God is the same. Okay. As a Christian, we believe that Christ is the way, the truth, the way, the way, the truth and the light that no man can get to the father, but through him. And we believe that that happened when Christ died on the cross. And, and so as we begin to explore such detail, I think it's amazing that our God is going to be God regardless. Now, I do think the mode that we get to him is, is important. I think you need Jesus to see heaven. Um, and, and you know, you, 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 if you don't believe that, you're going to have to disagree with me. But I think as you search these scriptures down, you will come to agree with me. Uh, but it is absolutely amazing that, A, that, these, that 80% of the people in the world worship the same God that I do. Um, they just have some, some differences and some things that we, we don't have issue with. Now, as we begin to talk about, um, these different modes here in Genesis, all three, uh, well, I guess Christianity wouldn't be included yet, but all three of these, uh, religions were, were okay with God. We didn't see issue come about until Christ came because there was a shifting and it was his redemption for all of mankind. Uh, and so God, God is, he's, he's an interesting character. Um, and, and it's, it's amazing to me how he chooses Abraham. Okay. You know, Abraham has this unique, unique title in the Bible as the friend of God. Um, and, and, and that's kind of, that's kind of a really cool title. Like you're the friend of God, kind of like David has that title, uh, a man after the heart of God, you know, that's a pretty cool title. And it's not even like Abraham was some amazing character. Like he was probably a pagan worshiper up until the time that God calls him. He was probably somebody who was worshiping idols at the time that God calls him, but God calls him out of this hole in this hall. And he says, I want you. Uh, I'm going to make my name great through you. I'm, I'm going to make, make nations come through you. You need to submit to me. And you know what happens? He submits. And so we're going to see, we're going to explore that. Uh, but I, I do find it incredibly amazing that Abraham was not anybody special. And I think that's something that we all can pull together in our own, in our own understanding, in our own thinking that you don't have to be somebody special. You don't have to be somebody with a whole bunch of gifts and a whole bunch of anything. If you're called of God, that's all that's necessary. If you're called by God, you don't need to be qualified. You don't need to have great riches, great fame, great prestige. Uh, all you need is a calling and a willing spirit to go where he has called you to go. Okay, so we're going to pick up reading in verse 12, and we're just going to traverse this, the scriptures until we, we can't traverse no more. And then um, I guess I'm going to get in the car and head to Birmingham because it is Thanksgiving week. All right, so we're going to go through these scriptures, and we're going to pull out the things that are important, and we're going to go from there. So starting in verse in chapter 12, if you were sitting in a theological class, they're going to say that verses 1 through 3 are the call of Abraham. Now we, we can probably, as we go through a little bit more, I'm pretty sure we're going to pull something out. That's probably more accurate to the call. But if you were sitting in a class for theology and so the question is, where is the call of Abraham listed? Your answer should be chapter 12 verses one through three. And it reads, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and I will, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who cursed you and all you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now you remember just a couple of seconds ago, I made this point that all three major religions 
come from the seed of Abraham. And we see that promise given right there. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Um, and, and as we'll see, when we talk about Ishmael, Ishmael is often regarded as a mistake and he was out of the will of God, but yet God still, uh, blessed him through that seed because he said, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And, and, and we'll make that make a little more sense as we get through scripture. Now, I, I think it's important first that we see that, um, he has to leave, that he has to step away. As we begin to study many of the characters through the Bible, whenever get God gets ready to deal with somebody, he often separates them from the things that they call familiar. He often separates them from the things that they, they find, uh, familiar and they have to leave what they know in order to be used by God. He had to leave his father's house, which, you know, I find that relevant. And, and, and I, we can also parallel that to Christ. We can parallel that to marriage, but you know, in Gen- earlier in Genesis, he says, for this cause should a man leave his father and mother and he should cleave to his wife. Um, there's a separation when you make a new commitment. You, when you make a commitment, a commitment of the sort, you've got to step away from what you know, and you've got to cleave to something new. So he says you've got to leave your father's house. And, of course, he's not talking about marriage at this point. I believe he's married to Sarah at this point. Uh, but he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and will bless those who bless you. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who, bless, who curse you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed. He says, I will bless those that bless you. And so the people who take care of this is the promise that people talk about all the time. The countries that take care of Israel are typically taken care of. But we can go through history from the foundations of this, this statement, and all of the countries who have taken care of Israel have been taken care of. They have been blessed. Think of the United States. They take, they're blessed. We got some chaos going on in this place. But as long as we are taking care of Israel, typically we are a, a very well taken care of country. But when we start looking at Rome, Rome stopped taking care of, of, of Israel, and they had a fall. Um, Germany, um, in, in recent, in recent history, last, last hundred years, Germany starts picking on, on, um, they start picking on Israel and they start picking on the Jews. They kill 6 million Jews and in killing 6 million Jews, Germany has yet to recover. Now they're still a country, but they are yet to recover. Uh, they, they don't have the prominence that they once had and they're still embarrassed by their folly and the mistakes that they have made. And, and as if you can, you can literally go down a history book and you can see where these great empires have fallen. And it usually has something to do with them picking on Israel. God is faithful to his word. He says, those that bless you, I'll bless, but those who curse you, I will curse. And, you know, you can go in, you can go and put a whole bunch of people in captivity, but if you touch his people, ooh, if you touch his people, he's going to touch you. It's funny. I, w- I went, I went out with somebody recently and uh, they were really scared of, of uh, bugs. I don't know why I always end up with people who are afraid of bugs. Uh, we went out with some bugs, and they were like, oh, I don't want to go down there. It's dark. I might, you know, might find a spider. And I looked at her, and I said, you know what? If it gets you, I'm going to get it. And, you know, I was joking, but I was serious because I'm not really afraid of much these days. Um, but, and, but I was, I was serious, you know, this is, this coming from the same person that chased a dog a couple of weeks ago. You know, I'm not really afraid of too much right now. Um, 
But that's what God is basically saying to Abraham. Those people who want to curse you, they're going to have to come deal with me. Now, granted, you know, I believe in dominion and I believe I have dominion, but my dominion ain't the same dominion God has. And so I think that's a huge blessing that, that Abraham, his house and all of his lineage has is that if, if you, Hey, if, if you getting cursed, I'm going to curse them. And, and so then that's, that really turns into a, a blessing for the house of Abraham. That really turns into a, a blessing for his chosen people uh, because it doesn't matter how bad their turmoil begets or, or how ugly things become. He's still, he's still keeping them. He's still protecting them. He's still loving them. And they're still taking care of moving on to verse 4. And so Abraham, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot with, with him. Now, we're going to notice that that's a problem. Uh, he's family, but that's a problem. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as Terebinth tree of Amora, and the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him and he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and, uh, and on the AI on the east and he built an altar, an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord so Abram journeyed still to go southward okay so you know when we look at um, when we look at this deal um he 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 departed. He he went. He seemed to be um, obedient, but he really wasn't completely obedient. He says, "I want you to go," and he goes up the river. Uh, he he went to the land. He to, went to go to the land of Canaan. Uh, they came to Canaan, and he passed through the, the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree, and the Canaanites were in the land, and so he doesn't really go there. And so then the Lord appeared to him. He says, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built the altar to the Lord. And here he appeared to him and he moved from there. So he, he doesn't stay in Canaan. He, he goes somewhere else. And because the Canaanites are there, even though this promise is made, you know, sometimes we find ourselves in situations where, uh, where we, we're not, I guess we're not convinced that God is, is, is going to do what he says he was going to do. And so we, we kind of circle that thing. You know, I found myself there this weekend, had something really impressed on my heart to reach out to somebody I hadn't talked to in a while. Um, because I'm not really sure if we're on good terms. It doesn't feel like we're on good terms, but I was impressed on my heart all weekend long. And so I'm like, Lord, is this really you? Like, do I really need to do this? You know, is this a good idea? I don't think this is a good idea. I might not need to do this. I might need to step away from the situation. But all weekend it was impressed on my heart. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And then I had this piece about it, which was crazy. Like, I'm like, okay. And it's always this piece about it. Like, and so I'm sitting there like, what is going on? Why is this going on? And so finally yesterday, which was Monday, so, you know, I've gone Friday, Saturday, Sunday, get to Monday, and I've avoided this thing. Like, I've avoided this thing. I'm like, I know I need to do it. Maybe I shouldn't do it. I don't really, I want to do it, but I don't, I don't think it's a good idea to do it. And so I have just kind of circled this thing where I, I didn't really do what I was supposed to do. And so when I did what I was supposed to do, I get this different feeling about it. 
And so I'm curious. I'm like, okay, God, what, what are you doing? What are you trying to show me here? And so sometimes God says, go somewhere. And so we circle around it. We get close to it. You know, I spent about an hour comprising a text message that was less than, it had to be less than 140 characters. I spent an hour or two trying to comprise this text message. And it's like I was circling around the the situation, didn't want to do it. But when I did it, I got this piece again. Often when we find Abraham in a situation, it's like he gets close to this place and he doesn't go. And so he, he finally, but he makes, he, he finally goes and he goes where he's supposed to be. And he, he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the east of the Ai and on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called the, called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed still going toward the south. He's still moving. He still hadn't quite honed in on being there. Now, um, verse 10, now there was a famine in the land and Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. I think that was a mistake. Um, it, it, it was almost like a, it wasn't almost, it was like a lack of faith. It was like, you're in this place God told you to be in and you leave because there's famine. So it's like, you don't really trust that he's going to call, he's going to provide. You don't really trust that he's going to be God. And maybe, maybe Abraham is still feeling out this God, you know, at this point he, well, he didn't really know, no, no, no God. Like he, he had this idea, this God that spoke to him. But up until this point, we believe he was probably an idol worshiper. Like, and so, because that's what he dwelt upon uh, amidst. And so he's like, he is like an act of, of, of non-faith. He leaves and he goes to Egypt. And then in verse 11, and it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, indeed, I know that you're a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me, and they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was, when Abraham came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman, and that she was very beautiful. And the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you tell me that she was not, she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Go take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. See, Sarah was in a situation. Her husband has asked her not to tell these people that they are married. And so you can't really hold her at account because she was submitting to her husband. But her husband has gone into a place that God has not asked him to go into. At no point in the scripture does it say that Abram consulted God and God say, go to Egypt. At no point does it say that he prayed and he found direction and he goes to Egypt because Egypt is going to have food. He assumes that there's going to be food in Egypt. And it always seems that for some reason, Egypt is just kind of taken care of. And so what we see is Abraham, in a lack of faith, moves to Egypt, and God didn't tell him to go to Egypt. And then Egypt, in his own, I mean, and then Abram, in his own devices, tells his wife, look, you're a beautiful woman. I know you're beautiful because I married you. Uh, So don't tell these people we're married because then they're going to kill me, and then, you know, all this is going to be messed up. 
And it's like it's like Abram has forgotten that God has made him promises. He's like he's forgotten that hey, I'm gonna bless your house. I'm gonna bless you. Those who bless you, I'm gonna bless you. And those who curse you, I'm gonna curse you. And so he has put his wife in this compromising situation because Pharaoh has looked at his wife and said, "Man, that's a beautiful woman. I want that." And because he was the ruler, he gets her. And she goes into his house, but see, God had greater, greater uh, destiny for her womb. They'll, he said that, that many nations would come from her womb. And even though she was without child at this point, even though she was elderly at this point, there was still a destiny for her womb. And because there was a destiny for her womb, God could not have her womb contaminated by an evil pagan pharaoh's seed. And so what he does is he sends a plague on the house of Pharaoh because he says, oh, no, now y'all not going to mess up my plan today. And see, this is one of the first times that we see it is not contingent on, on what Abraham does on the fact that God is going to bless him and that God is going to keep his covenant. He made covenant that Abraham would be blessed through his seed and Sarah was his wife. So that is where the seed had to go and had to be make, take root and had to be uh, fertilized. And so even though Abram has come up with this plan in his own thinking, this is how I will preserve my line. This is how I preserve my family. This is how I can continue to live. He has disregarded. He has disregarded what God has said, what he has commanded and what he has promised so many times in our own lives. That we, we think that we've got to stick to our own devices. And so we try to come up with situations and ways to fix our lives, ways to fix our situations. We try to come up with ways to walk according to what we want to walk and to operate according to how we think we should operate. And we miss what God has already ordained. And we miss what God wants to do in our lives. And we miss how he's moving on our behalf. And as we miss that, we miss, we, we have to go and, and, and track around. I'm willing to say that Abram's journey to Egypt and his stint in Egypt was wasted time because as we're about to see, he had to go back to Canaan and they start all over again. And, and, and how many times do we have to go back be, and start over again because we've tried to pick up a situation that God has already sealed? We go open the package back up and think that it's not been sealed. And we don't realize that the delivery day just hasn't come. The package has been packed. The package has been sealed. It's been addressed and it's been signed. But we just, we, we're, we're so impatient that we go rip that thing open and we try to fix something that has already been delivered, has already been fixed and put together and prepared by none other than God. Abram got impatient. Abram had a little bit of, had little faith, which is a, which is, is, it speaks a lot because you know, he's in, he's listed in, in Hebrews, Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith. Sometimes, even though you may be a man or a woman of great faith, that doesn't mean that your faith will never falter just because you're a great a friend of God does not mean that you will not make mistakes just because there's great calling and great destiny and great predestination on your life does not mean that you will not have a hard beginning. It does not mean that it will take a little bit or to take longer or shorter for yourself to find yourself in a place where God is trying to get you. Abram, we see him make this mistake, but it doesn't mean that it's, it's the, it's, that it's all over, that he can't go anywhere or that God is done with him. He's not thrown away. God doesn't throw away, throw him away. God just picks him up, takes him back to Canaan and says, let's try again. That's great news. 
Oh, that's great. That's great news. That's marvelous news. Why is this marvelous news? Because we screw up daily. We get off course daily. Make mistakes daily. I mean all the time, just make mistake after mistake after mistake. And, you know, I think as we explore the, the mistakes that we make, it's, it's one thing for us, for us to just say, thank you, Lord. I am weak. I am messed up. I am this. I am that. But God has kept me. <laughs> That's crazy. And you think about how quickly we throw people away. How quickly we are to get somebody up out of our lives. Once they do wrong, once they don't keep their word, once they, they, they're just not every, they're not anything that we've asked them to be, we want them out. We want them up and out, get out. How quickly we want, we want ministers out of the pulpit once they disappoint us. How quickly we want people to have to leave because they've done, they've done us wrong. But we're all weak. We've all made mistakes. We've all made a mistake. All right, turn with me to Acts 7. And we're gonna read. Um, we're gonna we're gonna start reading it in verse one. Now, what we what we're gonna notice here. This is this is a New Testament account of what happens on the call of Abraham. I think I, I'm I'm convinced that the best commentary of Scripture is Scripture. Okay, especially the best commentary of the Old Testament is often the New Testament because remember what was concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. Like I told you, it's absolutely amazing to me how. Um, 40 authors write 66 books over thousands of years and they still begin to overlap and they still have like this divine outline and God has caused them to be this inter, like this inter, inter, intertwined system of messages. And it's absolutely amazing to me. But we were beginning reading it at, in verse one, chapter seven of Acts. And then the high priest said, are these things so? And he said, brethren, and fathers, listen, the, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in the Haran. And, and from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land, which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it and not even enough to set, set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give him give him him for a possession and his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and then they would bring them into the bondage and oppress them for 400 years. And then the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge and said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in, in this place. Then he gave them the covenant of the circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Great, greatness, 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 greatness. Okay, so what we see is we dealt, we dealt with that. But this is what I want to pull out. Um, God gave him no, no inheritance. Uh, not even to step foot on, but even Abraham had no child. He promised to give it him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land. Uh, but verse four, verse four, then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which he shall dwell. What I want you to notice is that there was a requirement of a funeral in order for Abraham to get it together, okay? 
Uh, this funeral took place after he received his call. Something had to die. Let's think about that. Something had to die. Now, it may not, in your life, it may not be your father. It may not be your mother. It may not be somebody relative. But there may be something in your life that has to die in order for God to take you to the next level. Sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes it's a job. Sometimes it's an addiction. Sometimes it's an ideology. Sometimes it's, it's something deep dwelt in on the inside of you. But something has to die for some of us in order for us to be used to, of God. Why? Because we're going to consult that thing over God. We're going to consult that thing in the place of God. And as we're consulting that thing in the place of God, we are not listening to the one true living God on the directions that he's trying to give. I'm willing to bet Abraham respected his daddy so much that even after he had heard from the God of the universe, he probably went to go consult his daddy. I'm willing to bet that for a lot of us, that's the same business. We, we hear from God. We get ready to do what God has said. We do all of these things. And as we're hearing from God, we go and consult somebody here on earth. Now, godly counsel is a good thing. But see, there's a, there's a way to go about it. Because sometimes we'll go, we'll go, we'll hear from God, and then we'll say, well, let me go talk to so-and-so because I don't know what to make of this. Oh, I don't think that's a good idea. Let me go talk to such and such. And so we are discounting what we have heard from heaven, and we are trading it for the opinion of man on earth, for a fallible man's opinion on earth. Now, godly counsel is a good thing, but godly counsel is a good thing when it is sought after you've heard from God. So it is good as confirmation for what you've heard. If you, if you go and pray, God says, go move to New York. And then you're talking to somebody, well, the Lord has told me to move to New York, so, you know, I'm guessing I'm going to have to move to New York. And then they say, well, you know, the Lord gave me a dream uh, that you, you would live in New York. Or the Lord told me, you know, to talk to you and tell you whatever he's telling you to do, go do it. Godly counsel is good in that way. But when the counsel isn't godly and you're seeking the insight of a man and not his connection to the Father, we got an issue. Okay? Let's go back to Genesis. Get back to Genesis. Now, what I, I want you to notice this pattern that God does, both in Acts 7, 2 and in Genesis 12. First, he gives a call, okay? After the call, we see Abraham finally get it together, and then he's obedient. And then once he has finally submitted to what God has done, he's finally had to return and go on, and he's, he's been obedient. Then God begins to give him some revelation, Okay, we see that all throughout the Bible. We even see that in our lives. Uh, often we want, we, want, we want the revelation after the call, and then we'll be obedient. But it doesn't work that way. God wants to, he's going to tell you what to do. Then it's, your, it's in, contingent on you to go do what he has told you to do. And then after you do what he's told you to do, he'll give you some deep divine revelation. And so what's for, that's, that's a call for us. To, to realize that this is not our situation to tend to. This is not, <laughs> I, like, look, this is not, this is not, we're not the boss here. We, we got instruction from the CEO of life. When you get instruction from the CEO, you do it. And then you'll, you'll, see, you'll reap the benefits of what you see, the wisdom that the CEO has. Okay. Beginning in chapter 13 of Genesis, verse 1, Then Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife. And all that he had and lot with him still a problem. To the south, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. Now, let me stop right there. 
It's believed that he may have been the re- the wealthiest man in the world. Why? Because when Lot, we're going to see Lot is going to get in some trouble. He's going to raise an army out of just his servants at his house. And he's going to go and get Lot and free Lot with the army of the servants in his house. Um, you got to have a lot of servants. And if you got that many servants, you probably got a pretty large house and, and your wealth has got to be pretty large. But moving on, verse three, and he went on his journey as from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of which the altar which he had first made there at first. And Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Lot also went with Abram, had flocks, herds, and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was thrife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelt in this land as well. Verse 8, And Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take left, then I'll go right. Or if you go right, I'll go left. Um, And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan that is well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah like the garden of the Lord, uh, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and the Lord dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But then, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Okay, it's a lot we can pull from that. Like I saw, it's a lot we can pull from that. Now, first, I want you to notice that that Abram pitches tents. He doesn't build houses. The only thing he builds are uh, altars. That's the state of his heart. Now, why is that a state of his heart? His Remember Noah, the first, his first act of business was to build an altar when he debarked the ship. All the stuff he could have did, he could have planted a vineyard, he could have built a house, he could have went and, and tried to hunt for something. The very first thing he did when he debarked the ship was he, he built an altar. He had to go and get before the presence of God. We see Abram, Abram's heart is pointed toward the Lord at this point. Yeah, he's made some mistakes. Yeah, he screwed up. Yeah, he has issues. But even in his issues, the only thing that he builds and makes permanent are the altars. Why do we know they're permanent? Because he he picks up the tent and he takes it where he goes. But the altar was still there because he went back to the place where he was supposed to be in the first place. You know, and, and you know, at this point, he's moving all over the place and, you know, he's gone to Egypt. He wasn't supposed to be there. And, and now he's, he's returned. And God says, and, and so he, he comes back and he's, the altar is still there. It's a marker for where, what God has told him to do and where he's supposed to be. You know, one thing I think we should focus more on is if, you know, the scripture is very, very contrite where it says, seek ye first the heaven of God, the kingdom of heaven, and all of his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. You delight yourself in the Lord and he gives you the desires of your heart. And, and we have it backwards. So many of us work, 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 work so that we can put food on the table. But we for, And then we make God an afterthought. Oh, well, I can't go to church this Sunday because I'm tired from working all week. Oh, I, 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 I don't pray because I just laid my head down. Uh, and so, you know, God knows my heart. Yes, he knows your heart and he knows it's far from him. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all of its righteousness. If you're concerned with making it to the next level and you're concerned with seeing God move in your life like never before, get in his face. 
Get in his face. You wonder why stuff is not working, why you're so tired, why you're so exhausted. Get in his face. Y'all, I will not lie to you. I got three three hours of sleep last night. And in the three hours of sleep last night, I was up at, uh, you know, I think, what did I lay down for three hours? Got had, had to get up, had to go somewhere else. Um, and I was up. And the sun has arisen. Like I had been, I had been out, I had done stuff, and the sun still had not come up. Um, and and I'm I'm in the face of God. I'm I'm praying. I've written blog posts before the sun had even risen. I had done more work than I typically do all day. Start with God. Stay with God. Get in the face of God. And he'll begin to to in, to encamp your 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 thoughts. I wrote it. I you know I do food ventures. I I, I do food blogging and then I'm a food critic and a restaurant bit critic and I'm really big on business development. Got two 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 business type degrees. Um, really big on it. And so I, I blog about foods and, and 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 the restaurant experience. I uh, went to this restaurant I, I, I frequent. And I went in, and, and their owner reached out to me yesterday about a, a food blog that I did on their restaurant. And so I, I go I go back by there today, and they give me this huge gift card, huge gift card uh, for a lot of money. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, but, but here's what happened is when, even when I, when I blog about food, I try to blog for the betterment of people. When I, when I blog about God and I, I do these podcasts and I do live school and Bible school, when I do car talks, when I do Where's Kojo, everything is pointed toward Christ. And in, in, in the shallow and the deepest, in the deepest form. Now, Bible school might be the deepest form and the most contrite form. And, and where's Kojo might be the loosest form, but everything is pointing toward Christ. And when you point your heart toward Christ, God will begin to bless you in ways you did not expect. When I wrote that review of two, of, of that restaurant, it wasn't that I wanted somebody to give me something for free. I had, they had given me a free meal that night uh, for a mistake that they made. But I wanted to share goodness in the hearts of somebody in a time where, bat, where, where being rogue and being a mess seems to be running rampant. God, God sees your, your actions. He sees what you're doing. And as he sees what you're doing, he, he will bless you when you bless others. We saw that, right? We saw that in Scripture not too long ago, did we not? Um, but then we, 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 we're moving along in, in, in verse 5. Lot also went with, Abra, with Abram, had flocks and stuff. We're going to jump down. At verse 8, so Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your husband, herdsmen. We are brethren. And he says, let's go separate ways. Look, this ain't working. I brought you along because you're my brother's son, and I said, I'm going to take care of my nephew, but you are keeping me from being blessed because y'all got hell up in your camp, and I'm trying to live right. So you got to go. I'm sorry. I love you, fam, uh, but you got to go. Sometimes <laughs> there's a separation. You know, I told you that God has to separate you sometimes, and sometimes we want to hold on to certain parts. And as we hold on to certain parts, we can't grow until we let go of all of it. God said, leave this place, but you get up and you take somebody with you that he didn't say you could go. You God said, get up and move. And you don't, you, you, you get up and move, but you, you grab some possessions you weren't supposed to grab. And so we see an issue in the camp 
And God said, no, player, that's not going to work. You've got to go separate ways, and I'm going to make you go separate ways. I tried to tell you nicely the first time, but since you couldn't respond to me telling you nicely the first time, I'll make it plain to you, and I'll make hell amongst you, and I won't cause peace to avail until until you do what I said do. Now, uh, we see that with Jonah. You remember Jonah? He told Jonah to go to Nineveh, and as he told him to go to Nineveh, he didn't want to go. So he hopped on a, on a boat, headed, headed to Tarshish. And as he was headed to Tarsus, God caused the waters to go nuts, caused storms to ramp, to go crazy. It seemed like they were about to die that day. And he didn't cause them to cease until, until they threw Jonah overboard and Jonah had to be obedient. See, God, he gives us options often. He says, look, I'm going to make it easier or I can make it hard. And my mom and daddy did the same thing when we were kids. We can do this the easier way or we can do this the hard way. Mom, we, mama come in with a nice tone. We didn't hear her at the nice tone. Then she come in screaming. Like, Man, why are you screaming? Calm down. But she got our attention. We did what she wanted us to do. Uh, we operated how she wanted us to operate. And, and in hindsight, I wish I would have listened to the, nice, the little nice lady instead of the lady who was screaming all the time. <laughs> but I guess as kids, you know, that's one of the lessons you have to learn, and it's one of those things we, don't, we, we miss um, until it's too late. Um. And so they, they went, they separated their ways, and guess what? Even as he gave uh, Lot the option to choose, Lot chose the opposite of where he was supposed uh, chose the opposite of where Abram was supposed to be. Abram still ends up in Canaan, this land in which God has promised him. And as we, we explore scripture, Genesis, and as we continue to explore uh, into uh, Exodus, we'll see that Canaan is the, like their promised land. This is the place where he he's saying, this is it. This is where you're going to rule. This is the land that I want you to use. And so um, just just continuing on, and, and they, they, they move on. And watch this in eight, verse 18. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelled by the terrible streams and Mamre. Uh, which are in Hebron and built an altar there in the Lord. So he picks up his tent and what does he do? He goes and builds another altar. He builds the altar because the altar is a monument unto God. The tent is a housing for him, which is more important, the monument unto God. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's important that he, he focuses on building the altar for God before he focuses on building his own house. And that's a lesson to all of us. Make your monument unto God. Make your life your stamp. All of that unto God before you focus on making yourself great. Make sure that your your ministry is taken care of. And whatever your ministry is, if your ministry is helps, if your ministry is holding the door at church, make sure your ministry at church is 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 in order before you decide you're going to do something for yourself. Why? Because God will always He'll provide for those who provide for Him. He'll fo- as you're focused on on Him, He'll focus on you. But if you're going to focus on you, why are you going to focus on you? Just a thought. Just a thought. Moving on to chapter 15. All right, chapter 15. So, okay, verse uh, chapter 15. And it came to pass in the days of Amorophile, king of Shinar, Arioch, the king of Elisar, cheated Lamar, uh, king of Elam, the title of the king of the nations, that they made war with the bearer king of Sodom, Bersha king of Gomorrah, uh, Shinnab king of Adma, Sherimba, yeah, Shemember, uh, king of Zeboim, and king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these joined together in the valley of Sedum. So it's like a war, war. You know, you just reading this. This is what it sounds like. That is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Chittalamar, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Chittalamar and the kings that were with him came and attacked the uh, Rephaim in the Ashtaroth in the Can- 
Karname, uh, the Zuzim in Ham, and the Enum, Enum, and the Sheva in the Karethame, and the Horites in the mountain of Seir, as far as El Param, uh, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Misfath, which is Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites who dwell in Hazion, Hazion, Tamar. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in the battle of the valley of Sedom against Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, title the king of nations, and Amraphel, king of Shinar, and the Ariok, king of El- Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sedom was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all the provisions went their way, and they also took Lot. Bum, bum, bum. (laughs) Abram's brother's son who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Hot mess, hot, hot, hot mess. Then one who had escaped came and told them that Abram, the Hebrew, uh, for, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees and the uh, Mamre, the Amorite brother of Eshcol and the brother of Aner, uh, they were allies of Abram. Now that Abram heard that his brother had was taken ca- captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went and attacked them, pursued them as far as Hobah, which was, was north of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley, after his return from defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him. So basically, they're in the middle of a world war. Like, like chaos is ensuing. Like, they are going at it. Like, they are wilding out. And then, and then Lot gets taken. Like, this shows how, like how prominent uh, Abram is at this point. They take Lot. Abram finds out that they have taken his nephew, and he says, oh, no, not today. I know we separated, but we are still family. So he rises out troops out of his house. No, he didn't go on a, a, a recruiting spree. He's not king of anything. He gets the troops, the highly militarized folk in his house. And these are the highly trained folks in his house. That's not to say that these are all the people. This is not to say that these are all the folks that are living and that are serving him in his on his estate. These are just the highly militarized folks on his in his in his estate and as they are the highly militarized folks and on his in his estate he says boy we're going to war and guess what he goes and he defeats enough people to get lot and all of lots stuff and all of the women in lots house back he goes back and he claims everything that belonged to lot and he brings him back and causes him to be restored take a moment and be like man abraham's a bad dude right and so <laughs> Abram, like he, he, he goes, he goes and he takes, he gets all the stuff he's supposed to do. And, and they were allies with, Ab- they went, mm, I'm sorry, but it, he takes all of them and he got the goods and he departed. Then one who escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terrible trees in Mamre, the Amorite brother of Eshcol and the brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 troops. Like I said, he divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them at Hobah, right, north of Damascus. Uh, So he brought back all the goods, and he also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. The king of Sodom went out to meet him in the the valley of Shabbat. 
So and I, you know he 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 really really did this thing right, and I think that was that was that wasn't so much as Abram flexing that was God flexing. Now sure it it, it explores how prominent he was and how much power uh, politically he had and how much influence he had, but I think the fact that he could go up and stand against like all of these nations in the middle of a world war and go claim something speaks volume to the angels of protection around this man. Like you, I'm sure he could have raised up all these troops and he could have went in there. He could have been good or whatever. We, you know, we see Caesar do it. Da, 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 da. But what we, what we cannot fail to realize is that when you're up against nations, like nations are more than 300 folks, y'all. And with 300 people, he was able to go and cause defeat. Now, he didn't beat all the kings, but he went and got everything that he went for. When God has decided that he's about to restore unto you everything that belongs to you, he's going to restore, restore unto you everything that belongs to you. And as he restores everything that belongs to you, he's going to dress you, he's going to clothe you, and he's going to take care of you. We see him do it with David. David, this little runt kid that goes and kills a giant. Now, he, he goes and kills a giant. Like, what? He wasn't supposed to kill a giant. And he didn't even have on the appropriate armor. All he had was some rocks. <laughs> he killed a giant with some rocks. When God has ordained and said that you can go get your stuff, you can go get your stuff. One of my favorite passages of scripture is in Samuel. Uh, when David, they come home from war and they see that, that, that they've come and Amorites have come and taken their white women and children, all of their stuff. And these men weep and they weep and they weep and they weep. And then when they can't weep anymore, they get up and they go and, and they ask God, God, can we go get our stuff? And God said, go get that stuff. And what happens? They go get all of their stuff back. Don't have no issue. Don't lose nobody. Uh, when God says you're going to do something, when he's going to set you up for, for success, Noah, like we talked about in, in, in the past uh, podcast, Noah has all these animals on the, on the ship. And nobody don't lose. Nobody. Nobody dies of natural causes. No animals like get in a fight and kill each other. Like everybody's at peace. No issues. And even in not having any issues, they're taking care of what? Unheard of. Unheard of. But God is sovereign. Oh, he's sovereign. God is sovereign. He's sovereign. And so he he takes care of them. They're, They're taken care of. No issues. Signed, sealed, delivered. Bingo. Love it. Okay. Moving on. Verse 18. Then Melchizedek, we, and you need to note that name. That's an important name. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out the wine, the bread and wine, and he was the priest of God, most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, the God of most high of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave them a tithe of all. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, and I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten, and the portion of what the men who went with me, Aner, Eshkel, and Mamer, let them take their portion. So, you know, first we're going we're gonna to pull out Melchizedek. Melchizedek, now, there are only, in the entire Bible, there are only uh, three beings that are both priest and king. Okay, um, in the Jewish tradition, they're very separate. 
you got the, the priests coming out of one house. You've got the kings coming out of another. They don't intermingle. It's important that they're separate, but there are only three that is both priest and king. Melchizedek, and Melchizedek paves the way for Christ. Why does he pave the way for Christ? Because Melchizedek sets a precedent that you can be both priest and king. Christ comes, he's both priest and king. Now, who is the only other priest and king? The church. You and I are both priest and king. It is our job to spread the good news. It is, it is our job to be priest. It is our job to take care of our homes, to take care of, of this church. It is our job. And we are king, we're made royalty, we are made sibling with Christ. That's crazy, right? So Melchizedek is an important figure, uh, if not for the only purpose that he paves, he's, he's a precursor to Christ. He paves the way in some sort that there would be a precedent for what Christ would be. But he brought out the wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he said unto him, blessed be Abraham. And so he establishes that Abraham is with the same God that he, is, that he dwells with. He says he was a priest of God most high, but then he says, blessed be Abraham who was of God most high. You know, you're important too. Let's make sure that we, we don't make a distinction. We, 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 we rep the same dude. <laughs> We're cool with the same God. The same God that's keeping me is keeping you. Um, let me make sure, you know, it's a lot of people, they like, they like to attack this name God, but we are dealing with the most high God, which kind of just, it, it goes back to what we were dealing with, with the pagan religions. And we were dealing with these, uh, angelic beings that were mating with these women causing these other things that they're these other creatures that they're bowing down to and they're attaching the title God to them. Um, I think it's, you, it's important to note that here in scripture that they make the distinction that we're dealing with God most high, uh, you know, because they want to attach this God and whether it be little God or big God to these other people, but we're dealing with God most high. There's nobody above this God. You may attach the title God to somebody else. You may want to call him the sun God. You want to call him the wind God. You want to call him the winter God. We dealt that with that last time. But I want to make sure that we know that we're on the same page and we're talking about the same God. And then he, he and then if you had any any curiosity, he says he's the possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed, he adds a blessing as if God needs it. But blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And so he, he confirms that what has happened today, Abram, you didn't do this. What you did here, it was not your work. Who did this was God. And, and I want to make sure that you understand that what went down today wasn't you. I know that you may have some prestige, and I know you want to go pat yourself on the back, but let's make it very clear. This was not you. Okay? And then he gave a tithe to of all. So he's, he, we see we see tithing introduced, um, and, and you know we we see we see this offering deal happening throughout the scriptures. We know Cain and Abel that's that's where that issue came through the offering. But he gave a tithe to all, and then he says the king of Sodom says, "Give to the persons and take the goods for yourself." So this tithe that he's given unto him, he says, "Go take this." And April makes a point. He says, "No, I'm not going to take anything because you're not going to say." that you have made me rich or that you have been the, the source of whatever, or you are the source of my strength or that you are the source of my goodness or, or my good fortune or anything like that. I want to make sure that it's uh, again solidified that God most high, that God creator of heaven and earth, possessor of heaven and earth, the blessed one is the source of every good and wonderful thing that has come in my life. And so, no, I'm not going to take anything from you because I think it needs to remain clear where my help comes from. 
Have you made it clear where your help comes from? Have you made it clear? Because sometimes it seems like we, we we're so tied to a job or to a career or to a spouse or to a situation that we're convinced that that's our source. And people are convinced that's where our source. Folks know where they work, how they get that house. And they're convinced that the job is the source of the good things that they have when the job is just a tool. It's just a resource. The source is the God. Don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. Okay. It needs to be made increasingly clear that God is the source here. Um, and, and as we continue to do these Bible studies and continue to look in the Word, let's not be conf- confused and to think that Abraham was a great man. Let's not be confused uh, to think that Noah was a great man. Let's not be confused to think that Adam was a great man, Cain or Abel or Enoch. You know, all of these men found favor in the sight of God. As when we get to David, let's not be confused. These men are really jacked up. And I mean, let's let's actually let's go back because there was a, an important point that I should have pulled out. Is that when he talked about the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'm gonna get back there. Uh, I think in verse 13, when he talks about the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, he says in verse 13. Chapter 13, verse 13, he says, But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And now I, I want us to do, let's look at this. Let's look at this for a minute. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Okay, if the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Now, Abraham had in the beginning a little, just a, tear, just a little bit of faith. He didn't have a lot of faith. Uh, but he found favor with the Lord, and he disobeyed and went to Egypt and pimped out his wife when he got to Egypt. Now, later we'll see that David is referred to as a man after God's own heart. David is a man after God's own heart, but he's an adulterer uh, by way of Bathsheba. He's a uh, polygamist by way of all his wives. He's <laughs> he's a, um, what else does he do? He's, he's a murderer by way of, of Bathsheba's husband. And he has issues over and over again, but yet he's a man after God's own heart. Noah was a drunkard, but he was a but he was he's seen he walked with God. Um, and we see all of these people throughout the course of Scripture who have found favor in the sight of God, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Why do you think that is? Where does that come from? Why why would that be the case? Here's my belief. Here's my belief. The men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. I believe I believe it comes back to the fact that they did not come back to God. That they didn't come to God, that their heart was not was far from God. That in their distress in their things they did, they were proud of their sin. They were proud of the things that they did. They were proud of their the indiscretions and they and they did these things without repentance. Without um, uh, seeking, seeking issue. We can go over to Romans one. And if we get to Romans one, because I think this, this, this highlights everything that we're looking for. When we get to Romans one, we, we see this, it, he deals with sin. Um, and he deals with the, the hearts of these men, um, here and, and in several other places, I believe this is the issue with the people during Noah's day. I believe this is the issue with the people during Abraham's day. I believe this is the issue in the United States and in the world today. This is the issue um, all over the place. And, and as soon as my promises, my screen loads, we're going to be in Romans uh, 120. If my screen will load. 
But as but but look, what this is what it says. He he says actually, we'll go to eighteen. Go to eighteen. In eighteen, he says, "For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God of men." Uh, is manifest in them for God has shown it to them for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes views are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and were foolish in their hearts were darkened professing to be wise they became fools and changed their glory of the uncorruptible god into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creepy things in other words the issue came about that they didn't see god as god they say they saw god as, as an option they saw God as an option in the midst of all of these other beings and, and items. They saw God as something that they could choose instead of being the way. And so because they could not see God and because they refused to repent from their things because they thought they were self-sufficient, that's where we see issue coming about. And so he allows them to be turned over to the other things and, and the issues. And as they're being turned over to their issues, we see... Um, God pull out this 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 ugly thing of wrath and he he blows it God he puts it all over them and this is a hot mess and unfortunately here in a couple of chapters we're gonna see that that wrath unveiled in Sodom and Gomorrah um and I guarantee Sodom and Gomorrah is not about what you thought it was about um but we're gonna dig deep in those scriptures as well and talk about the heart of the issues there just like Romans 1 is about sin it's not about one specific sin but it's about sin um, and people being turned over to sin and why would you be turned over to, to sin we may be sin, sinful beings but that doesn't mean we have to be turned over to our sin and we'll discuss why we get turned over to those things well I'm so glad you decided to join me today in Bible school uh, remember, be like the Berean Jews in Acts 17. Search these scriptures down daily so that you may find uh, the truth about God and what he has said about his word. Why? Because he is the one true living God. And because he's the one true living God, we want to understand what he has said and understand his truth. Now, be blessed. And until next time, this has been... Bible school.